0: So, uh, okay, we are going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 5, so you might want to turn to that. Wonderful. So we've, uh, um, spent, we have spent—we normally spend a whole bunch of time in these little talks, sermons, whatever you want to call them, kind of working our way through books of the Bible. And if you've been around for a little while, you'll know that we did John's Gospel for about 18 months, which was fantastic. We just did Titus Uh, And I'm just doing a little series now on the subject of more, which is kind of a slight break from working our way systematically through a book. And I I suppose just my sense is that God is calling us as a church to go deeper with him uh, and to not be, uh, to live all of our Christian lives on the surface, but to have him do a deeper work in us. Uh, And um, so what we noticed last week was that the apostle paul often when he writes to different churches what he's saying is kind of he's urging them don't settle for less you know don't settle for too little of god don't don't waste the opportunity that you have to mine all of the riches of god to 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 kind of take hold of everything that the cross achieves and all of that so we last week we looked at how uh, actually there is more love than we currently know you know, God's love is greater than we currently know. And so he's urging the Christians in Ephesians chapter 3 to, to grasp and experience to a greater degree the love of God. And that was called More Love. That was the talk today we're doing More Power, which is that God is calling us to experience more of his power. And uh, so that's kind of where we're going, Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just say this. You, might, you may be here, you've been invited by somebody... Uh, and you're not a Christian, or maybe you just wanted to come to church, you're not a Christian, or you're not sure if you are, probably your immediate thought isn't, I want to experience the supernatural. I'm going to go to church. You know, a lot of people don't think that, do they? They think, I want to experience a supernatural, I'll go to a medium or a clairvoyant, as some of our friends have in, in our village. Or, you know, I want to experience a supernatural, I'll go to a spiritualist church. Well, I want to suggest that if you're in search of a supernatural power that's greater than yourself, uh, then you've come to the right place, because the church is where God's power lives. Uh, and so that's kind of where we're going. Ephesians chapter 5 And we're going to read from verse 15. Come up on the screen as well. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I have the highest possible... view of Bible translators partly because my New Testament Greek is pretty shoddy uh, but also because I met a Bible translator once and she was a dear lady she was in her mid to late 70s I would say she'd just returned from South America where she'd spent her entire adult life translating the Bible for just a small tribe of about 600 people and her kind of crowning achievement of her life was to be able to hand the New Testament in printed form across to this tribe that had never had the Bible in their language before and you know her life in so many ways to this to society at large makes literally zero sense you know somebody that capable such an extraordinary linguist to spend their life in a, in a totally hidden part of the world for God uh, you know in so many ways makes no sense to anyone out there but I just had a sense when I met her that her life was extraordinarily well spent and that God in God's eyes she'd lived a glorious life. Uh, And uh, as a 21-year-old meeting somebody in their mid-70s, it changed the course of my life. I thought, gosh, I want to spend my life in a way that makes sense to God and not necessarily to the world around me. Um, however, so I've got the highest possible estimation of Bible translators. However, Simon Ponsonby, who I really rate as a Bible teacher, he's pointed out that there's a particular verse in Romans that is consistently badly translated. Uh, and it's this word that's going to come, this uh, verse that's going to come up on the screen. Romans 12:11. it says literally in the Greek, In the Spirit blazing serve the Lord. So in the Spirit, it's a definite article, in the Spirit, and then there's an adjective which is blazing, or ablaze, or boiling. It's the word that would be used of a piece of metal that you kind of put into a red hot fire until it's just so hot that it's, you know, white hot, or or, um, a pan of water that's just boiling away furiously. And so what he's saying is, in the Spirit, set on fire serve the Lord our service for the Lord has to come from being set on fire by the Lord that's what he's saying And unfortunately, what the NIV does, for example, you'll be able to look it up, is it changes the noun into an adjective and the adjective into a noun. I've no idea. Some of you may know why they do that. I've no idea. It seems like a little bit dishonest to me. So the spirit is changed into spiritual. And boiling is changed into fervor. So instead of saying, in the spirit, ablaze, serve the Lord, what it says is, Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Do You see, it, it makes it sound like, well, you know, we just need to try really hard. We need to find the resources from within ourselves to keep our passion going. And that is absolutely not what he's saying. The onus is totally on God. It's like, if you want to serve the Lord for the long term and make a significant difference for the kingdom of God, then you must be in the spirit of God provides the resources for you to be on fire for him. Many Christians live their lives, it seems to me, as if by a bad translation. As if we've got to work it up or whip it up or find some passion from within ourselves. And that's exhausting. Simon Ponsonby says this, The only antidote to burnout is to be burnt up by the Holy Spirit. The Chinese evangelist Watchman Nee said this, by the time the average Christian gets his temperature up to normal, everybody thinks he has a fever. We're so accustomed to being lukewarm. But the truth is, you know, if City Church, in all of its expressions, the Northwest site and the Ellen site and all these other places, and not least here if we're going to make any difference today but also for the long term and so that we're still making a difference for him in 10 years time and 20 years time, the only answer is to be in the spirit ablaze. Billy Graham, the great evangelist many people will have heard of, he obviously travelled all over the world, he stopped travelling now but he He went to nearly every country on the face of the planet, and this is what he said. Everywhere I go, I find God's people lack something. They're hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all they expected, and they they often have recurring defeat in their lives. The most desperate need of the nations today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Spirit of God. I love the story about the great Methodist preacher, W.E. Sankster. You've probably never heard of him. Uh, He was the minister at Westminster Central Halls during the Second World War. And at one point he was interviewing a, a young man for Christian ministry. And he was asking him about his passion for God and asking him about his sense of call and vocation. And this young man obviously felt like he needed to be a little bit honest for a moment. And he said, well, I love the Lord, but... I'm not the kind of man who could set the Thames on fire. And W.E. Sangster said this. He said, Dear brother, I don't care whether you could set the Thames on fire. What I want to know is if I picked you up by the scruff of the neck and dunked you in the river, would it sizzle?
1: <laughs> in the spirit,
0: ablaze. And so we come to Paul's command in the passage that we read, verse 18. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to all manner of nonsense, is more or less what he says. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, because it will change your life. Let me just lay a foundation for some of us who are maybe immediately thinking, hang on a minute, what do you mean be filled with the Spirit. You know, he's writing to Christians. Why is he saying, be filled with the Spirit? Surely we already have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, when we become Christians. And the answer to your question is, you're absolutely right. And in fact, uh, if we'd have started reading at Ephesians chapter 1 instead of chapter 5, we would have still been here reading the Bible, but uh, we would have come across verse 13, where he says this. "Um, Oh... Oh, here you go. When you believed, when you believed, verse 13 of chapter 1, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so the truth is, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you can say at some point in your life you've surrendered your life to God, your body has become a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is living inside you. And sometimes we use language that isn't terribly helpful. We say things like, are you a spirit-filled Christian? And the truth is, there isn't any other kind of Christian than a spirit-filled Christian. If you're a Christian, then you are also a spirit-filled Christian. That's the foundation that I want to lay before we come to what Paul says. And so, uh, now we're indebted to John Stott, the late, great John Stott, who says that there are four things that you can say about this passage. The first thing he says is, be filled with the Spirit is in imperative mood. What that means is that it's not a tentative suggestion. It's not, you know, if you're particularly enthusiastic or if you're a bit of a keynote, then you could be filled with the Spirit. That would give you that extra little something. What he's saying is, if you believe and trust in Jesus, you have a responsibility before God to desire him and to seek him and to wait for him. Um my wife and I, we have three children and none of them are teenagers yet. They're all at primary school. And so what that means is that we can sit around the breakfast table together and have conversation. Uh, You know, it's like, what would you like for breakfast, son? I'd like toast with chocolate spread and butter. Brilliant. For for being so polite, you can have an extra bit of chocolate spread. You know, uh, I'd like Rice Krispies with milk, please. Oh, very good. You know, you get a special gold star too for your excellent politeness. But I know that there'll come a time when I say to my kids, you know, what would you like for breakfast? And they go, whatever, Dad, you know. Whatever. Do you know, it seems to me that so many of us are teenagers when it comes to the things of God. We say to God, whatever, God. whatever you know if you want to bless me that's fine if you don't want to bless me that's fine it's up to you God I'm not that bothered either way Paul says no be filled make it your responsibility be filled with the spirit I love a Christian biography Uh, I've read loads of biographies. Uh, It it still cracks me up to think of the Christmas when I said to my mum, she was like, what do you want for Christmas? I said, I'd like a biography, a really great biography. She got the the biography of Stalin, which is not quite what I had in mind. Uh, Anyway, the point is, I've read a whole bunch of these Christian, you know, great men and women of God of previous generations who have kind of got hold of God or maybe it'd be better to say God got hold of them and they made a dent in the universe I love that but what I've noticed is that there are a couple of things that all of these men and women of God over the centuries have had in common the first thing is well it's really God's grace and his sovereignty that has selected those people and there's been an outpouring of his grace and his power But the second thing is, often you find these are people of great tenacity who are just hungry for more of God. You know, people who are a bit like Jacob in the Old Testament who said, Lord, I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. I'm thinking about people like Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher of the 18th century, who uh, some people might know, he had this famous sermon called Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, uh, and um, he would preached it a whole bunch of times to almost zero effect and he was really frustrated and so he decided to give a, a, away three days to just seeking God and so he didn't sleep for three days he didn't eat for three days he just prayed and petitioned and knocked on the door of heaven for three days And then he preached this sermon again, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And what that initiated was an extraordinary move of God that became known as the Great Awakening. Tens and tens of thousands of people came to faith all over the world. The church, never mind the church, the world was never the same again. It's our responsibility to seek more of God. Be filled with the Spirit. Secondly, it's in the passive voice Uh, Hands up if you've been been to Cosmo. Yeah, um, I've noticed it's extraordinary in Cosmo, isn't it? I mean, you could literally eat yourself to death in Cosmo if you wanted to. Uh, Don't recommend that. Uh, um, I was in uh, that fine dining establishment, McDonald's, last Saturday. I was having a coffee while my kids were skiing. And I said, I'd like a coffee, please. And they gave me an empty cup. It's like... No, no, I said coffee. Uh, And they said, no, no, you have to go and get it from over there. You have to go and fill yourself up. You know, you have to take the thing over. I don't know why they do that, but that's what they do now. You have to fill fill up your own cup. The Apostle Paul is not saying, fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit. What he's saying is, be filled. We have a responsibility to seek more of God, to wait on God, to, to earnestly desire the things of God. But actually, God in his sovereignty is the only one who can actually fill us with his Spirit, I'm an absolute activist. That's my confession. If I haven't achieved something before I go to bed, I have to just do something so I can say I've done something today. Sometimes the staff at the church mock me because they'll see me going around screwing in light bulbs just so I can say I've achieved something during the day. And so I find it really hard what Jesus says to his disciples. You know, he commissions them to go to the four corners of the earth to make disciples. And if that was me, the next thing I would have done was packed my suitcase, you know, or my rucksack. I would have been like, okay, Lord, you don't need to say it again. I'm going. I'm off. But the next two words that he says are the words wait and the words "stay." don't leave Jerusalem he said but wait for the gift my father promised I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high the point is God alone can fill us with the power that we need to change the world and all we can really do is wait the question is what does that waiting look like you know, I sometimes picture the disciples in the upper room. Thaddeus, want another game of pool? Nah, connect four. All right then. You know, just sitting around for for all these hours. Just Lord, Lord, you told us to wait, but this is getting really dull now. What, was it, what did that waiting actually look like? Well, actually, if you look at the end of Luke's Gospel, Luke tells us that they were continually at the temple praising God. And then the same author, Luke, in Acts chapter fourteen, uh, chapter 1 verse 14, tells us that they were in the upper room continually pray- praying. So the question is, which were they doing? You know, were they continually at the temple praising God or were they continually in the upper room praying? And the answer, of course, is that they were doing both. That was what they gave their time to, to praising God, worshipping him at the temple and seeking God and petitioning God in the upper room. It wasn't, you know, pool and darts and, and Connect Four. It was just knocking on the door of heaven, knowing that he'd told them to wait. It was active waiting. That's the second thing, it was passive. Be filled with the Spirit is also in the present tense. And actually, I was corrected when I did a similar talk last week in the, at the Northwest site launch. Where there was a professor of New Testament studies at, at Aberdeen University and he said, well, yeah, we don't really call it that anymore. We call it the continuous tense. So there you go, it's the continuous tense. Uh, but in Greek, there are two ways of telling people to do stuff. The first imperative is called the aorist imperative, and it's the kind of command when you, when you want someone to do something just once and then it's done. So, for example, at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, Jesus says to, to these servants, go and fill these jars with water. And, you know, once they'd fill the jars with water, that was it, it was done. They, they, he wasn't expecting them to keep refilling the jars, you know, keep filling the jars up, pour out the water, fill the jars up, pour it out again. It was just, when it's done, it's done. That's one way of Uh, commanding people to do stuff in Greek but the other one is the present imperative or the continuous imperative which is uh, I'm commanding you to do this and you'll never be done like this, be filled with the spirit he's not saying be filled with the spirit and then once you've done it, that's it you're, you're done, he's saying go on continuously day after day after day being filled with the spirit And that's actually exactly what happened you know in Acts chapter 2 the disciples were in the upper room the spirits poured out there were tongues of fire and they kind of staggered out of the room onto the street and people accused them of being drunk that wasn't a one only deal you know in the beginning of Acts chapter 4 Peter who was in the upper room is there in front of the Sanhedrin with John and as he speaks it says he's filled with the spirit again and then at the end of Acts chapter 4, we see that uh, Peter and John go back to the other disciples, and there they are in the room, and it says that they're all filled with the Spirit again. So it's not a once only deal. And to be honest, there are two traps that we often fall into as Christians. The first one is we say, Well, when I became a Christian, I was filled with the Spirit. It says it in Ephesians chapter 1. So that's me done. I'm full, you know. But that's not it. If we have to point back to a time in 1972 when we gave our lives to the Lord and we were filled with the Spirit, something's wrong. I love Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I can imagine him thundering this from the pulpit in Westminster Chapel in London. He said, got it all? Well, where is it then? If you've got it all at your conversion, where is it? In fact, I think he said, in God's name, why are you still like you are if you've got it all? That's the first trap, is we just say, well, I got it when I became a Christian. The second trap is uh, we say, well, no, it wasn't then that I was filled with the Spirit. It was a, a moment subsequent to my conversion. It was a kind of a second blessing. It was, the, you know, a, a moment later on when I had this powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit, and that was the time when I was filled with the Spirit. And again, if we're, we're having to look back, you know, potentially decades into the past to, to find the moment when we were filled with the Spirit, there's something wrong I love, uh, Bishop David Pitches was once asked, do you believe in in the second blessing? And he said, absolutely I believe in the second blessing. It comes after the first blessing and before the third blessing. Our posture should not be towards the past in the things of the Spirit. It has to be, what is God doing in my life today? How is he filling me with his Spirit today? How do I know his power and his presence and his voice today? That's the third thing, and lastly, it's the plural form. Everything he says in this passage is for the whole group. So he's not saying, "Well, what he's saying is nobody should get drunk on wine, but everyone should be filled with the Spirit." It's it's for everyone, and that's entirely consistent with the teaching of the whole of Scripture, isn't it? You know, all of the prophets are looking forward to a moment when all people. Will be filled with the Spirit. And you see that in Acts chapter 2. It says that the Holy Spirit came and all people were filled with the Spirit. And so for some of us, we might think, oh, yeah, but it's not really for me, it's not really my cup of tea, it's for everyone. I, I often think that Christmas is the most awkward time in the first year of marriage. You know, because up until that point, you've spent Christmas with your family and your family does Christmas how you think it should be done, right? And then you get married and you discover that other people don't do Christmas how you do it and that's definitely led to some awkwardness in our first Christmas when uh, Taryn, who has come from a family where Christmas is a really big deal, suddenly joined our family where we gave each other gifts still in the carrier bags with the receipt inside and she wasn't impressed, but I've soon submitted to her way of doing things. And so now I get about 38 boxes out of the loft in December every year. And kind of the whole house is full of Christmas stuff. And we've got some kind of Christmas tree in most rooms. Not yet in the toilet, but I'm still waiting for that moment. <laughs> and um, anyway, the point is that in, in our house, there's a, there's a present under the tree for everyone. So, you know, the window cleaner comes to collect his money. And it's like, hold on, there's something under the tree for you. And she runs off and it, there you go. Uh, uh, the truth is that as we go to the tree, as we go to the cross, there's something there for everyone. No one comes away from the tree empty-handed. And at the foot of the tree, at the, at the foot of the cross, there is redemption. Redemption and there's forgiveness, and there's adoption, and there's also the gift of the Spirit. And no one comes away from the tree empty-handed. So when we put all of that together, what we get is something like, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to all kinds of silliness. Instead, everyone should deliberately and intentionally allow themselves to be filled by God with his Spirit continually every day, or something like that. So the question is, just as we come into land, what does that look like? What does it actually look like to be filled with the Spirit? Well, as you look through the New Testament, what you discover is that it looks kind of different in, for different people. So sometimes it's pretty dramatic. Acts chapter 2, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It's like, boom! You know, the Spirit's here. Acts four thirty-one. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So sometimes it's very dramatic. And there would be lots of us here who would say, at some time in my life I've experienced the power of God in a way that's completely undeniable. You know, and, and often people say, well, it was like having my fingers plugged into the electric, electricity socket and you know, there was a power there. But sometimes it's not so much like that. And you see also in uh, Acts 13 verse 52... It says this, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And there's that sense that the room didn't shake, there were no tongues of fire, there was no drama, but there was just a sweet sense of the presence of God and the joy of God and the peace of God. And it was just a lovely moment in God and they knew that they'd been filled with the Spirit. Actually, the emphasis of the New Testament is not on how we experience the filling of the Spirit. The emphasis is on how it changes your life. And so very briefly, let's just look at three things that the New Testament would say are, are things that we should expect to happen as we're filled with the Spirit. First of all, a renewed passion for the Lord. If we follow his train of thought, what he's saying is, don't get f- drunk on wine because that leads to all kinds of bad things instead be filled with the holy spirit because that leads to a song bursting out of me that is you know a song that comes from the spirit songs heart, psalms and spiritual what, what is it psalms hymns and songs from the spirit singing and making music from our hearts to the lord and and thanking god for everything i love that it's like when we're filled with the spirit it's a song that rises up from within us that's just... Do you know, so often in the, uh, these biographies, they use one word. In fact, sometimes it's one letter to describe this. And it's the word, oh. Oh, God. Or oh, the wonder. Or oh, the glory. Or oh, the power. Or oh, the presence. It's like, oh. That's the first thing that happens when we're filled with the Spirit. The second thing is a renewed character. In this passage, if we we had read the whole of Ephesians chapter 5, the context of this is that he's explaining that there's a tension in the Christian life. That actually we are tempted in so many ways. And he talks about temptation uh, temptation towards uh, having a twisted relationship with sex, for example. That's in verse 3. Or uh, a twisted relationship with with our words and the way that we speak. That's in verse 4. He talks about our possessions. Just saying, be really careful that your possessions don't possess you. And so he's saying, I know it's really difficult to live as a Christian and to to live as a a person who honours God. And yet at the same time, he's calling them to a higher life. So for example, verse 2, he says, Live a life of love. Verse 8, live as children of light. Or verse 15, live wisely. And so he's saying, you know, there are temptations to live a life that's dark. But I want you to live as a child of the light. And so if we follow his argument all the way through, he says, don't get drunk on wine. That's just a mess. He says, understand what the Lord's will is for your life. Be filled with the Spirit, which leads to something godly happening from within you. A renewed character. And lastly, a renewed courage. Acts 4.31. After they prayed, the place where they they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And actually, if you were to do a search, there's a a fantastic website called BibleGateway.com, but there are others available. Uh, You can go on there and you can do a search for spirit and bold, and you'll find that there are a whole bunch of times in the New Testament where those two words appear really close together. Because what happens is when we're filled with the spirit of God, we're filled with the courage of God. And my goodness, don't we need that? I was at a thing recently where they were um, talking about a load of research that's been done into uh, the state of the church and the position of the church in society in Scotland, and they were saying, I forget the exact number, but it was something like 80% of people who walk past the street here have no passing thought about God ever. You know, some of those people would call themselves Christians as well, but that's anyway, that's a whole other statistical anomaly, shall we say, but most people out there have no passing thought about God until you speak the word of God boldly in your workplace, until in BP or Shell or in your university lecture room or, in fact, don't talk while the teacher's speaking, but anyway. The world needs Christians to be filled with the Spirit because they need to hear the word of God spoken boldly. And that's why Billy Graham said, The crying need of the nations today is that God's people would be filled with the Spirit of God. Let's stand, shall we?